the great and the small. And there's something about, like, God loves to take little towns, like Bethlehem and Nazareth and the Christmas story, these little towns that are seemingly insignificant, but he puts them right in the middle of, of his big plan. And that God takes little towns like Manhattan or Mayetta, Kansas, where I'm from, or wherever you may be from, if you're from a small town. It's God, God's the God of the great and the little. And sometimes, it's kind of cool even this morning, as it's a kind of smaller this morning, and people gone for Thanksgiving. It's, I love just this essence of God visiting us in unexpected, quiet places. And God visits, um, God likes to put little people in the, little, in the middle of his big plans, too. And that's good for me, because I, I always feel more like a little people. Than a, than a great person. And so we're going to really be looking at that theme over the next five Sundays and looking at how we find God in, in obscure places. And he, he's the God of the obscure, the God of the off-the-beaten-path, the God of what you wouldn't expect. And so this morning we're going to look at uh, the part of the Christmas story. We're going to look at some from Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2. Um, and really the theme of where we find him. So the idea that when Jesus, when, when God came to the world, when God became a person, and when God came to inaugurate his coronation of the whole world, you would have thought it was going to be in the capital city or some great world city. But it was actually in this little town off the beaten track, actually in a barn where he was born. And we're going to pull out some of the themes of where do, where do we find God? Where does, where does Jesus come? Where where does he kind of hide? Proverbs 25.2, this is one of our, well, before, well, maybe skip ahead to that saga, yeah. I like to jump around a little bit. Um, Proverbs 25.2 says that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search things out. And God hides himself in places we oftentimes wouldn't expect. And it's the glory of kings. We're going to look in the story of the three kings, the three, the three wise men who came, and they searched out, they searched out this, this newborn king. And so, where do we, how do we search out to find where we can encounter God in a personal way, in a real way? So, it's Matthew chapter 1, we'll jump right into this, um, starts out in a way that many people don't think is the most exciting part of the Bible. This is the genealogy. These are the genealogies are the lists in the Bible of so-and-so is the father of so-and-so is the father of so-and-so is the father of so-and-so. And so Matthew starts out this way. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it proceeds to go through this list, starting with Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. It, it lists his descendants all the way down then to David, who was the first, the, the king of Israel. And then it goes all the way through Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. And basically, it's the whole theme of Matthew is it's describing Jesus as the king. Jesus as the king of the world, the king of Israel, and the king of the world. And so, this genealogy is tying in that, okay, Joseph, he is of royal blood. This, this father of, of Jesus, and we, we skip ahead to, to verse, um, verse 16. It says, And Jacob... The father of Joseph, so we've we skipped ahead like 42 generations here. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah, or the Christ. 
Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. And so we see that Jesus naturally was a descendant of royalty. He was the, David was his, his ancestor, the king, and then actually if you read through the whole list, it's the king after king after king after king after king after king after king, as long as there were kings in Israel. That was Joseph's family line. But somewhere along the line, Israel had gone into exile, and they'd come back, and there weren't kings anymore, and then the descendants kind of got dispersed until we get to the time of Joseph, and he's living in this obscure town of Nazareth, and he's certainly not living the lifestyle of royalty. He's, we find out later he's on the poor side of things. And so there's this, this tension of Jesus, of Jesus is born into royalty, but it sure doesn't look like royalty. And that's oftentimes, that's how it works with the kingdom of God. It's the most royal thing ever, but it's, it's hidden in very normal, obscure, overlooked, common things. And God loves to hide in those places. God, God loves to come to those places. Um, and so we're, we're going to read the story of, of Joseph here. Um, verse 18, it says, This is how the birth of, Joseph, of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now we know now that that was a good thing. And she was found, you know, this is the Messiah, God sending his son. She's Mary's pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But when Joseph got that news, that his fiance was pregnant, it didn't sound so great, right? That didn't look like really good news. It's like, wait, what's going on here? I don't even know how much she tried to explain that. Like, you know, really, Joseph, really, you know, trust me here. Trust me here. The, the, the Father is the Holy Spirit, okay? I had this spiritual experience, and God spoke to me, and now I'm pregnant. You know, that would be very, if you're in Joseph's shoes, that's, this doesn't look good. And especially in this culture, in this time, I mean, this, this is actually an offense that, that deserves capital punishment. The, the, the typical, um, the, the, the response in the law was that if someone is, if, if, there's a, if, there's, if you sleep with someone before you're married, you could be stoned. And so that's really what this is looking like here. And so you just think about that. Joseph, you know, he, he had a plan for his life. Yeah, and he was excited. He's probably relatively young. He's about to get married. Things are going good. And all at once, the woman who he loves and he's engaged to, she's pregnant. Things, the plans that he was working out for his life, there was a big wrinkle, big wrench in those plans. And so, um, really, we can see in this that that the first place, we're going to look at three places. I wasn't planning to go in this. I just had one idea. Like, I think this is what this, this message is going to be all about or where we find God. But as I read the story, it's like, well, there's a lot more here, actually. The first place, Jesus comes to us in, in places that are undesirable. A lot of times when Jesus comes to us, or the places that we find God, it's not circumstances that we would pick. It's kind of like we just had, uh, we celebrated Thanksgiving, and pumpkin pie is a big part of that. 
And of our, of our kids, we have two kids who have the same experience with pumpkin pie. That when we first, they came, to, they came of age, and it was Thanksgiving, it was time to be introduced to pumpkin pie, we showed them the pie and said, here's a pumpkin pie. This is Thanksgiving. This is really good. You're going to like it. And they looked at the pie, and they said, that does not look like something tasty. Which, you know, is kind of logical, if you think about it. Pumpkin pie does not look very good. And especially if you describe, yeah, it's like a squash. It's kind of like made in a pie. You're like, no. No. And so, do you want? No, I don't like pumpkin pie. I don't like it. That was both of these kids' response. And, but we asked, well, have you ever had it before? No. I haven't had it before, but I don't like it. I can see what that pie looks like. That is not good. I'll have something else. But with both of these kids, we convinced them to try it. And when they ate it, they're like, I like this. This is good. This tastes good. And now both of them love pumpkin pie. And a lot of times that's how it is with, with the things God presents to us or where we find God in our life. You know, I know some of my most meaningful relationships now not my wife, this was not the story with us, but many of my other close friends. The first time I met these friends, we did not really hit it off. We did not really think it was going to be an important friendship. But God was in that friendship. And he brought us together. And as we worked through this stuff and got to know one another, it was great. It became a place where I found God through those relationships. And so a lot of the places where we find God are like that. They're undesirable. But once we try it, it may be quick, sometimes it's immediate, sometimes it takes a while, but there is something good. But we have to get past the initial distrust. I know for me, moving to Manhattan, it was like that. Like, oh, Manhattan, I don't know if that's the place I want to end up. I had a certain connotation of what this town, what this little town is all about. And it wasn't until, fully until we got here, it was like, you know, this is the right place. I found God in this place. This is where I'm supposed to be. And so a lot of the places where Jesus comes to us, are, they seem undesirable. At first, And so, it's a good question for us to ask, is, what around me, what situation, what relationship, what appears undesirable? But maybe God might be in that, for me. We keep reading in verse, um, where am I? Verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord, so basically he was going to divorce her quietly. That was the, instead of divorce, making a public spectacle of her or having her accountable to the full extent of the law, the honorable thing was like, I'm definitely not going to marry her, but at least I'll do it quietly. I won't, I won't make, make a big scene about this. So that was his, that was his, his, his response to not this something that was so undesirable to him. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means the Lord saves. So he has this encounter with God through an angel where God says, hey, you know, this situation that seems so undesirable, Actually, I'm in it, and I'm going to give you, I've got a responsibility for you to raise the son, and he's got a really, really important mission. He's the Messiah. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. 
The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when, Jesus, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. All right, so Joseph was able to get past that undesirable first impression to come into the place that God had for him. Moving on um, for in this Christmas story, chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, so there is Jesus was born in Bethlehem in this, this little town, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. They wouldn't say, you're by no means least, unless there was reason to feel like they were the least, right? Bethlehem was this little town, there's nothing glamorous about it. It seemed like easily overlooked, underappreciated, but the prophecy said, no, there's something special about you. You may seem underappreciated, but there's something more. You are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, but out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And that's the second thing, where Jesus comes to us in a place that's underappreciated. And I love that. You know, even, the, even the wise men with their, and it's so impressive that they were, of all the people on earth, there were these stars. We, a lot of times we think of, we see the Christmas story, and I remember seeing pictures as a kid, and there's the manger, and there's this massive star in the sky right above it, and you're like, oh wow, God's sending his sign. There's the star, and that's where the Messiah is being born. But actually, only these few people recognized it in all the world. So there was this sign, this heavenly sign, but it wasn't that obvious. And, you know, there's speculation. The best things I've read of, of what that, that sign in the stars was is there were, there were these, these heavenly phenomena that happened around 2 and 3 B.C. where Jupiter lined up with the star Regalus, which is interesting, Jupiter, the king of the planets and Regalus, which means king. And there's numerous things. It was set in the backdrop of, of Virgo, the virgin constellation. And actually in, the, in, uh, in Leo, the, the lion constellation, which, the, which the, many people think the, the, the wise men would have understood, maybe from their tr- tracing back to being trained by Daniel in, in Persia hundreds of years ago, or something like this, that, that they, the, the tribe of Judah was represented by the lion. And so there was this place where these stars came together. And, and it, they moved back and then came together and they moved in, in different constellations and, and the way it appeared into the sky. And there were just a few people in all the world who saw, like, whoa, something really, really big is happening. There is a very important king of the Jews who's being born right now. And so this hugely important thing was happening, but it was missed by most people. And again, that's how God works. 
it's especially in our age of entertainment and television and all the, the spectacle. We, you know, we're, we're used to things being like announced in a certain way or the important things, you, they, look, they look like this. But yeah, come on. There you go. But God loves to, he hides. This is the most important thing that's ever happened. But almost nobody is seeing the signs of what's going on. And so the wise men, they, they, but they see it. And they follow the signs all the way to Jerusalem, the capital city. And they go to Herod and they say, hey, where's the king? We saw a sign. There's a, there's a new king that's been born. And then Herod's like, whoa, what are you talking about? And so they look and they talk to the, the religious leaders and say, well, there is this prophecy. It's going to be in Bethlehem, actually, this little town. And so the second aspect is Jesus comes to a place that's underappreciated. He comes to a place that's underappreciated. And, you know, instead of a palace in the capital city, he's born in a, in a manure-filled barn in a small town. And this is good news for all of us who were not picked on a sports team on the playground. Or, you know, all of us who didn't make the team we thought we should have made or the, been recognized the way we thought we should be recognized. Or, you know, it's so easy to feel underappreciated, right? I mean, you know, you guys are all better than me. I guess you don't feel that way. But, oh, so, like, we all feel that way at times. Like, oh, my goodness, like, man, I, there's, there's a sense of, like, I was made for something important and, I man, I know there's some, but then my life, it's, it feels very different from that. And that's that tension. The re, uh, God makes us in his image, but yet we're dust. But he comes to us in that place of, of weakness. And you know, I think there's nothing more that, that represents this more than a local church, actually. That a lo- the church is, is Christ's body. The church is a place where God lives in the world today. But a church, man, there's nothing more humble and weak most of the time and unimpressive a lot of the time than a local church. And especially, like, you get to know people and you're like, yeah, they're great, but also, man, they sure are wacky. <laughs> like, they're, they're, you know, this, they've all got their idiosyncrasies and their weaknesses and you know, it's, and together it's like, okay, like, God, you're, like, your presence is in a church? Like, really? You're, you're, like, the local church is where you reside in the world today? Like, wow, that, that doesn't, couldn't you have done better than that? Really? But there's, God uses the weak things of the world to shame the wise. And oftentimes we're like, man, God, I want to find you, I want more of you. It's hidden in this, 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 this thing called a local church, this relationships with other people and being joined up with other people. And it's as we f- we're in that place that we come to know God and find him in a way we can't find any other way. Um, but, it's, but it's hidden. And so I think the question for us is, like, what, what people, places, or circumstances around us are easy to overlook, easy, easy to write off, Easy to see is unimpressive or not a place we need to invest in or give our attention to. But actually, God is in those places. And then, this the, the last thing here is that um, that the place you find God is, is also unsafe. It's, it's undesirable. It's it's um, overlooked. 
it's unimpressive and it's unsafe. And this whole the story, um, sorry, I'm losing track of myself, but basically what happens, I'll just summarize the story. What happens next is Herod is like, oh man, you know, tell us. When you find the king, tell us so I can worship him too. But actually, he wants to eradicate the threat. And then um, through a series of events, the, 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 the wise men get divine guidance from God. And through a dream, God tells him, hey, don't go back to Herod because he wants to, he wants to harm this baby. But go back by another route. And, but then Herod finds out. And in, in verse 16 of chapter 2, it, we read that when Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So Herod just issues this edict. And everybody who's under two years old, he's killing in this area of Bethlehem. And it's like, wow, man, that doesn't sound like the like, sweet Christmas spirit that we like to celebrate. But there's something about the places, wherever God is, there's always opposition. We're looking for a place without conflict. We sing about peace. We're like, yeah, peace, that sounds great. But peace is never the absence of conflict. But it's always God bringing his victory over his enemies. And it's not God delivering us from danger. But it's leading us into dangerous places, actually. But yet, his presence and his guidance leads us through those places. And man, that's my experience following God. It's like it's never been unsafe. It's always been emotionally challenging and fraught with danger. And like, am I going to make it? What's going on? It's, I think, actually, the way you can know you're the closest to where, where God is is there's the most opposition and challenge around it. But yet, God brings his, his guidance and his peace in those places. And so, man, we, we find God in the places that are unde- undesirable, they're un- underappreciated, and they're unsafe. And so, to, to get right in the middle of that, and that's one thing I love about these, the story is that Joseph and Mary and the wise men and all the characters in these stories, they got to be right up close and personal with God, right up close and personal with Jesus. They, they were right in the middle of what he was doing. But they, they had to be different than other people in order to experience that. And to find him, there are things that have to change in us. And so to find him, I just want to go real quickly through a couple things that have to change. To find him, we've got to change, number one, our value system. If, if God's values are different than ours, if he's found in unimpressive things that seem naturally unimpressive to us, then we have to flip some things upside down. Jesus always talked about this. He said things like, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. He said the things that are, that are impressive with people are despised by God. Wow, that's pretty intense. The things that you so highly esteem, actually, God, is, is, he despises those things. So there are things that we, you know, we look at, maybe may approval, it may be a recognition, it may be a career, or money, or success, or something that we're looking at that we naturally, our culturally naturally elevates and says, oh, this is where it's at. But if we're going to find God, we have to flip that value system upside down and find God in, in a different place. It's we have to come to a place of being okay with being unknown, being underappreciated, being, being overlooked. Say, okay, God, it's not going to be about recognition from, from others. 
But it's going to be about my relationship with you and the things that really matter, being a part of your plan. Uh, to find him, we've also got to change who we listen to. Now, it's interesting about these stories that the only reason that Joseph and the wise men were able to, to find Christ was because they had divine guidance. They, the wise men saw the stars, and then they had these dreams and these spiritual encounters where they were hearing from God through these angelic messengers. And so I'm not saying you need to like have an angelic messenger come to you. But there are ways that God speaks to us that are different than the normal, than the normal voices that we hear all around us. You know, we're surrounded by friends and media and family and these values, these voices that say, this is what you've got to do, this is what's important, this is what matters, and these, these voices come all the time. But if we're going to find Christ, we've got to be listening. We've got to listen to that quiet voice. That's in the middle of all the, of all the craziness. We've got to find him. And then, you know, I think of this, it's so easy to miss. I just uh, recently we have a neighbor who has um, his, his longtime girlfriend has had a longtime battle with, with cancer, and then she passed away recently. And it's a neighbor who we, we kind of see in passing, but he doesn't live right next door to us, next door to us. So I hadn't seen him yet. Since, um, since I'd heard that, that his girlfriend had passed away. And then just like a week ago, I was pulling up on the street, and, about to, and I was going to pull into my driveway, and then he was driving the other way, and he um, was about to pull into, to park next to the street. And I thought, oh, maybe I should like roll down my window and, and like talk, to, talk to Bob. But it was like, oh, no, I don't know, he's already like past me. And I, like, just, I missed that chance. And then... It's like, I still haven't talked to him. And I, I knew, like, in the back of my mind, I was like, I know, I just, I feel like that was the prompting of the Holy Spirit to say, like, just stop what you're doing and, like, have this conversation with Bob right now. But it's, it's so easy to miss those promptings of the Holy Spirit and to miss the places where he's at in our life because most of the times they don't, they don't come with, with bells and whistles and loud voices, but it's these just quiet things that we have to stop what we're doing and listen to. But when we do stop, when we do like listen to that leading and have a conversation or pray or turn to God in a certain way, he meets us in those places. And so, and then finally, to find him, we've got to change our plans. Uh-oh, this is getting real here. But think about that. Joseph, man, he had plans for his life. He had, he had things that he was, he had a vision for what his life was going to look like. He was getting married. They were going to have kids, probably. They were, had a career. And then God shows up. And for him to get in on what God was doing, he had to change his plans. Now, the wise men, they're important people. They got responsibilities. They got things going on. They had to change their plans. If they hadn't been willing to change their plans and their schedule and their agenda... And go on this very inconvenient long trip, they would have never gotten in on seeing Jesus, encountering God, being part of his plan, being part of his story. And the same is true of us. And we have to be, if we're going to be in on, if we're going to find Christ and be in on what he's doing, we have to be willing to change our plans and change our agenda and let go of what we're, what we're doing. It's so easy to, for me, oh, I don't have time, or I've got this going on, and it's like the real, the things that God's in are coming at me, and they're usually interruptions, they're usually inconveniences, 
There's usually not an obvious payoff for those things. And it's, okay, am I going to be willing to change my plans for the things that, that God is in? You know, the, the good news is, is that for those, those Joseph and Mary and the wise men, they had no regrets. Quite the opposite. Their experience of encountering God, being part of his story, worshiping Jesus, it was so worth everything they let go of. Because they were able to, to, to see God in the underappreciated things, change their agenda, they, they found something so much better. And the same thing's true for us. And so this morning, um, we're going we're gonna to celebrate communion together. And really, our, my hope is that this would just be a time for us to really just kind of continue on this kind of chill morning today, this kind of a chill, peaceful Thanksgiving weekend Sunday. Um, just that God would speak to us and that we would find him wherever we're at this morning. Um, gonna, our hope is that as we even take the elements, we're going to have a moment to just be quiet with God and say, God, what are you saying to me? Where are you leading me to know you more or be part of what you're doing more? And so um, I'm going to read a we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that before we take it. But if, if you're here this morning um, and you want to, well, let's, let's, let's just, let me just pray for us for, for a moment. Let's just pray with me. God, you just speak to our hearts, whatever you want to speak to us today. Thank you that you're in the, the overlooked things, the underappreciated things. You're in the quiet things. Lord, right now, would you even prepare our hearts to encounter you, to hear what you're speaking to us, whatever that is. Help us to hear and discern you, even in this season, whether it's the, the busyness of getting ready for Christmas and shopping and plans or final preparation for finals or whatever it is. Lord, may we not miss you in this, but may we encounter you like never before. Thank you for meeting us here. Amen. This morning, if you want to um, take communion with us, this is just totally um, voluntary for whoever would like to. Um, really, it's for those of us who have a relationship with, with God through Jesus and a way to, to, to um, turn to Him, even a time to, to turn away from anything in our hearts that may be a sin or a distraction from our relationship with God and to draw close to Him and say, Jesus, you're, I thank you for what you did on the cross. As our Savior, you, you shed your blood for me. You came to the world so that I could have a relationship with you, be one with you, commune with you. Um, if you would like to take part in that this morning, just go ahead and walk back to the tables in the back of the room and get the bread and the cup. We'll come back to our, our chairs and we'll take that together. You can go ahead and do that now.